Welcome to the 250th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with novelist Paul Vittich, author of the novels The Good Assassin, An Honorable Man, and other novels. And just a programming note, this interview was first recorded when An Honorable Man was first published. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Paul Vittich, author of the new novel, An Honorable Man. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Can you read two or three pages from your debut novel, An Honorable Man? I will, indeed. I'm delighted to be able to do that. Um, This uh, is the beginning of Chapter 10, uh, the middle of the book. And it's a uh, important chapter in that uh, it is a moment when the CIA entraps a Russian um, whose name is Valisenko. Um, The main character of the novel is a guy named George Mueller, who has been given the assignment to get a mole, discover a mole who operates within the CIA. And they've decided that the best way to get information on his identity is to find a Russian and trap him and then hope that they will get clues that then um, bring them back to the mole. Having said that, let me proceed. The call came after midnight. He'd gone to bed after a long dinner with Altman at the F Street Club, and he felt good about staying away from the booze. Drinking alone hadn't stopped Altman, who had two vodka tonics and then wine with dinner. Mueller found himself restless to be sober in the company of a man boisterous with too much alcohol. Old acquaintances, once close friends. He could complete the stories that Altman felt a need to tell at great length. Mueller sat bolt upright when his bedside phone rang. He reached for his glasses, without which, by some vagary of concomitant senses, he couldn't answer the telephone properly. Hello, he said, half asleep. They left the bar in the taxi. Bar. He was on his feet, bare soles on the cold floor, and he pressed his fingers to his forehead to concentrate. Think. His body was alert like a prey animal. He looked at his wristwatch. Where are they coming from? Georgetown. He had 20 minutes tops. FBI? No. She brought him back on the alley by himself. They're clean. Mueller had the taxi stop. Uh, drop him two blocks away on a side street, a precaution, and he hurried along the sidewalk, staying away from the streetlights. His breath plumed in the night air. He left quickly, and he regretted leaving home without his gloves. He wondered what else he'd forgotten. He went down the mental list of things that could go wrong. This had been his life for too long. The cold reminded him of mist on the Danube, that one night of fog. Weeks of waiting, long periods of drudgery, punctuated by a harrowing moment of acute tension. It was all about the plan, the actions that they had rehearsed, which, if followed, kept the mistakes of poor judgment in the moment to a minimum. Trust the plan. The photographer was already in place when Mueller quietly let himself into the neighboring apartment. He'd seen two agency officers in place in the hallway. There was no need to give them um, any sensible cover, so they just... um, having a neighbor call the police on the two loitering strangers. But it was a tolerable risk at that hour of night in a quiet apartment building. It was either that or have no security to manage a bad outcome. 
Mueller draped his coat over a chair and peered through the two-way mirror into the empty bedroom. The narrow twin bed was made. A negligee hung from the open closet door. Family photographs were arranged on the dresser. Drapes drawn, light entered the darkened room through the open door and led to the living room, lit up, bright, and you could see the legs of a tall man stretched onto the coffee table. How long have they been there, Mueller asked, whispering. Fifteen minutes. There were two 16-millimeter film cameras, one ready, one backup. No light stands. Vasilenko would be wary. He would have his eyes open, ears alert, even as passion planted its talons. Prey animals knew to move cautiously near the bait, drawn by hunger but looking for the trap. He and Vasilenko were alike, Mueller thought. Drawn to risk, tired of the young man's game, but good at it. And I'll stop there. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about an honorable man yet, how would you describe your novel? Uh, It's a Cold War literary uh, spy novel set in 1953 um, with a literary sensibility um, that uh, looks at the characters who uh, were drawn to the early years of the CIA, mostly Ivy League young men who studied literature at Yale or Brown, uh, who found themselves caught up in the moral hazards of the Cold War. That's a lengthy description, but it (laughs) tries to give you the the mood and the sensibility of these intelligent young men who, uh, you know, would otherwise have gone off into banking uh, or, you know, law firms who found themselves uh, addressing the... um, at that time, the evil empire called the Soviet Union. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing an honorable man? Uh, yes, it uh, it began with a personal family tragedy. I had an uncle who worked in biochemical warfare at Fort Detrick in the late 40s, early 50s who uh, died mysteriously um, in 1953. Um, And it turns out that uh, later revelations, um, we discovered that he worked for the CIA and and the official death was that he fell or jumped from the 13th floor of the Statler Hotel in New York. And it remained a family mystery for 25 years and only uh, the, the elements or some of the elements of his death were revealed in the church committee hearings in 1975. Um, but in any case, I was fascinated by the idea of a young man, a scientist who found himself um, in this secret world of, in his case, um, uh biochemical warfare agents being used by the CIA. He couldn't talk to his wife or children about what he did, and he couldn't share his qualms about his work with his colleagues because to do so would have been to have betrayed the trust. Um, And he would have been seen as a security risk. So he kept this world into himself. And I thought, well, that's an interesting an interesting thing to explore, a a smart person who gets caught up 
in a world that he hadn't intended to be part of. And, um, and in his case, he was probably murdered. And um, that story in itself is fascinating, but it was that character that I latched onto and that character, that, that, that quality of character, a man uncomfortable in a secret world, led me to the main character in my novel, George Mueller. Um, and then I built a story around him. But the, the heart of the story uh, originated with uh, this person, Frank Olson. Sure. Well, An Honorable Man, as I mentioned, is your first novel. You worked for many years as an executive in the media and music business. During that time, were you always wanting to write a novel or write fiction? Uh, <laughs> I did, actually. I one of those people who got out of undergraduate school and thought, oh, it would be great to write a novel. And, and uh, at the time, I, I, I tried my hand at it and wrote a couple. They weren't very good at all. And I was also raising young family, so I, I said I'll have to put this aside or write on the, you know, in the, the margins of my life, early morning uh, and other, you know, times, weekends. And I went and got an M MBA and um, had a big career at um, Time Warner. And uh, then at one point in my life, I said, you know, that thing I wanted to do when I was 22, well, you know, now I can afford to uh, – <laughs> leave that career <laughs> and do it full time. So I quit my job in my mid fifties and uh, went through the apprenticeship of learning to write, which is to get it. I got an MFA. I really dedicated myself to the proposition that if you want to write something that somebody wants to read um, and that it has all of the qualities of a, you know, a book you yourself would like to read, then you're going to have to work really hard at it. And, and I did. Um, and uh, I was fortunate to have a story that was worth telling, um, and, um, and and now it's in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what kind of research did you do while writing an honorable man? As as you said, it's set in the early 1950s, uh, uh, the beginnings of the CIA. The CIA. Um. So the the most important research. Um, had to do with understanding the lives of the individuals who were in the CIA at that time. And I certainly had my, my uncle's life uh, to give me some um, of the, the elements I needed. But I, I read memoirs from the period. Uh, William Colby, who was in the CIA then, wrote a wonderful um, memoir, um, which it happens to be titled honorable men, um, close, but not the same. Um, and he was a young man who went to Princeton and then to Columbia Law School and rose through the ranks, uh, ultimately to be the director of the CIA. But he talks about the, his personal life, you know, the struggles and um, difficulties of, of living a secret life, but having a public life as well. And he tells the sort of the anecdote of the moment when his 12-year-old preteen son um, happened to confront him and said, Dad, and he was in Vietnam at the time, he said, Dad, do you work for the CIA? And he, Colby happened to be head of the CIA station chief there, and his son had been confronted by other kids at the swimming pool at the embassy. And um, he Colby describes that awkward moment where his son... Um, confronts him with this 
you know, personal secret that was so profound in his life because he'd go off saying he was going to do one thing during the day to his son. And he came and he went off and did a very different thing. And that, that tension, um, that personal tension um, was something that I think in, in that book and other memoirs of either Russians or Americans who worked in espionage in the 1950s um, was an important part of the uh, character development of my characters. Um, and obviously, uh, there are elements that are, represented the political environment at the time, the McCarthy um, Army uh, hearings in Congress. And I read a lot of transcripts there. But the essence of it was to try and um, it, it sort of completely absorb the atmosphere, the tension, the, the sort of the, the sense of normalcy that was undermined by this acute, uh, uh, I'll call tension in the world, um, the tension of uh, being confronted by the Soviet Union that had just acquired nuclear weapons, the end of the Cold War. So we lived a normal life, but in it, there were all of these um, uh, these conflicts. And they were also inter- not just external conflicts, but obviously conflicts within uh, the American, you know, with American life. Um, obviously, suspicions about communism, the... Um, the uh, oaths that uh, people were required to uh, take at the time if you were working for government or universities. Um, so it was, it was trying to capture all of that as a, as a to be able to give the book this sense of authenticity for a moment in the past. Sure. So what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories? just based on your own experience of, of um, as you mentioned, turning back to writing and, and ultimately having an honorable man published? Um, I, I would, I, I guess the most important thing is um, find a story that um, is heartfelt that you feel you're uniquely able to tell. And then um, summon all of your the, the craft you can to tell the story. Um, and if it's a good story and it's well told, um, it will uh, it will find an audience. Sure. So when you when you sit down to write, are there ever days that you need to do something to jumpstart the writing process for yourself? Not so much. I mean, my my approach to writing is to do a lot of research, and and the research then creates this uh, this this rich world from which I can pull things, and out of the research uh, begins to emerge story and character. So when I actually sit down and write, it's a pretty propulsive event. I mean, my the first draft of this book took me about 45 days to write. Um, but I didn't just start to write. I, you know, spent probably nine months doing all sorts of research, thinking, getting phrases that I found were interesting, getting bits and snippets of dialogue, um, creating backstories for characters, 
um, which then, you know, sat in my mind and it all sort of came out in this um, propulsive way. And then, of course, the first draft led to six more drafts. Um, but I think the most important thing is to be able to have the story, the characters, the setting, the the moods, the themes in your in your mind before you begin to write. Sure. So are there books and authors that inspire your own writing? Uh, several. Uh, Shakespeare is top of the list. John le Carre, um, top of the list. Graham Greene, uh, top of the list. More contemporary writers uh, like Alan First and Joseph Cannon. Um, some wonderful literary, um, uh, you know, influences. Um, the Great Gatsby, for example, um, Scott Fitzgerald, wonderful writer and a wonderful book. Um, so th- those are those are the sure. ones that come uh, off the top of my head. Sure. So are you working on another novel now or thinking and planning and researching one? I am. Uh, I submitted the a draft of my next novel to my agent yesterday. So it's it's timely. It, it, I'm sure we'll go through some revision, but it's uh, it's set in Cuba in 1958, just before the fall of Batista, and it does involve the CIA and the FBI, and um, uh, and it's it's uh, the setting is timely, although I chose it um, about two and a half years ago before the the warming of diplomatic relations with Cuba, but it's, it has, it's a timely setting at least. Sure. So where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and an honorable man? I have a website. It's paulvidic.com and that's P-A-U-L-V-I-D-I-C-H.com. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Paul Vidic, author of the new novel, An Honorable Man. The book is available in bookstores now, so go grab a copy. And Paul, thanks for doing this interview. And thank you very much. It was a pleasure. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.